Hi, Casey here. Before we start, our team at PassBlue wants you to know that we're a nonprofit website and we depend on your generous donations to tell stories about the UN. In November and December, PassBlue takes part in Newsmatch, a national matching gift campaign that drives donations to nonprofit newsrooms, like us, around the country. Here's how it works. Starting November 1st, Newsmatch will double your donation up to $1,000. For a nonprofit like us, this is a big deal and will help us report exclusive stories at the UN every day. The type of journalism we do that puts accountability first cannot wait. Because if we don't tell these stories, who will? Hi, I'm Casey Candela. And I'm Stephanie Filion. And welcome to Unscripted. Today, Mexico will put an international spotlight on its national concerns during its one and only Security Council presidency in its two-year term. We talk about it with three diplomats from Mexico's delegation at the UN, as well as Andrew Rudman, the director of the Wilson Center's Mexico Institute. This is Unscripted, a podcast taking you inside the United Nations and beyond the scripted debates to the people at the heart of it all, the diplomats and the reporters covering them. Mexico's Security Council presidency may be overshadowed by the high-level COP26 climate change summit that is taking place in Glasgow, Scotland at this very moment. Mexico is at the council helm only once in its term, based on a monthly alphabetical order schedule, so it wants to make the most of it. This month, we interviewed Mexico's two deputy permanent representatives, also called DPRs, Alicia Buenorostro, Juan Manuel Gómez Robredo, as well as the country's political coordinator, Enrique Ocha. Mexico's ambassador to the UN, Juan Ramón de la Fuente, wasn't available for an interview. Here's DPR's Juan Manuel Gómez Robledo. We'll have to take advantage of this uh, only chance to project our foreign policy, as everyone else does. We take advantage of that presidency to also bring our own messages. This is why one of our signature events is very much linked to our domestic priorities, fighting corruption, fighting inequality, fighting any kind of exclusion. This is not to say that the council will do what, for instance, the ECOSOC does, but it is important to also bring into the council a number of elements which affect the maintenance of international peace and security. That would be our contribution. Andrew Rudman, the director of the Mexico Institute at the Wilson Center, is not surprised that Mexico will bring its national politics into the Security Council. Mexico plans to discuss the problem of illicit firearms and possibly migration during its presidency. Rudman says this is consistent with the foreign policy of Mexico's leftist president, Andreas Manuel López Obrador, commonly known by his initials AMLO. It was, frankly, I think a little bit surprising in that the current government has not been very foreign policy focused. I think President López Obrador definitely has that cliche that sometimes reference about a good foreign policy is good domestic policy. And he certainly is someone who focuses on domestic policy. He's made one foreign trip in office. That was a, about a day and a half trip to Washington, D.C. His second foreign trip ever as president will be to the Security Council. I think the fact that he's traveling at all 
shows that Mexico does think this is important, that this is a way to demonstrate uh, the importance of Mexico, Mexico's role in the world. But I think it's a little bit surprising in that this is not a, a president who has sought to, for the most part, play a, a role Mexico has traditionally played as, as trying to sort of be an honest broker between Latin America and the United States, or to be, though not a formal member of the non-aligned movement, to kind of be a leading non-aligned country. And, and all of that is historically consistent for Mexico, but not really, maybe not consistent with Lopez Obrador, who hasn't shown as much interest in foreign policy, except in the context of foreign policy as domestic policy, really. AMLO is planning to come to New York City to preside over the high-level debate on inclusion, inequality, and conflict on November 9th. The logistics around his travel can be complicated for the mission, as the president doesn't travel on the presidential plane like most world leaders, but takes commercial flights. One issue Mexico wants to focus on in November is small arms. For the second month in a row, the Security Council will discuss the issue of small arms and light weapons. Kenya also made it a signature event last month. The Mexican government is currently suing 10 U.S. manufacturers for weapons-related deaths in Mexico. Here's Andrew Rudman. Mexico's interest in control of, of small arms traffic is such an important issue for the U.S.-Mexico bilateral relationship in the context of drug trafficking and controlling and improving security in Mexico. The Mexican government, for example, is suing U.S. gun manufacturers, claiming that they're liable for damages and, and deaths of hundreds, if not thousands, of Mexicans because they're willfully selling weapons, if not directly to drug traffickers in Mexico, to intermediary purchasers, knowing that they're buying them for Mexican customers. So I think Mexican efforts to kind of raise the profile of small arms trafficking and look for international support to improve control of that issue is definitely something that Mexico will pursue because there is a, a very direct connection to its domestic policy. That also underscores how U.S.-Mexico relations are, are what's sometimes referred to as intermestic. Mexican domestic policy of trying to get a better control on small arms trafficking necessarily becomes a foreign policy issue because the guns are coming from the United States. But since the consul discussed the topic of small arms and light weapons less than a month ago, we asked the Mexican diplomats how they'll approach the topic differently from Kenya. Here's Mexico political coordinator Enrique Ocha. Kenya's debate was very much focused on peacekeeping missions. Our debate is going to be more general, but we also want to see whatever decisions the Security Council are made regarding small arms and light weapons and weapons in general, are these decisions being respected? We have identified several reports of the Secretary General that contain some recommendations on how the Security Council could strengthen those measures. So we really want to focus the discussion on those specific recommendations that the Secretary General is making to the Security Council on the issue of small arms and light weapons. I have to be also very clear that we are not trying to duplicate the debate that is happening in the General Assembly. 
This is going to be a very UN Security Council focused discussion. We had an ARIA formula meeting on this earlier. We heard the voices of, of members of the Security Council on where can we work in terms of small arms and light weapons, and that's where we are trying to focus. The debate will be from a different angle as the one that has been produced by Kenya. Mexico's last signature event for November will be a debate on preventive diplomacy. But it won't just be the Security Council. The event will include the UN's most important bodies. Here's Alicia Buenrostro, Mexico's deputy ambassador. Another insignia event or signature event that we have is the direct dialogue between the most important organs of the United Nations system. So that is with the General Assembly, the Security Council, ECOSOC, and the International Court of Justice, and then, of course, the Secretary. So what we are trying to do there is to promote the synergies that are necessary, really, to be able to have a system that is more efficient, that avoids any duplication, and that can really focus on the most important items of the international agenda in a coherent way without duplication and with the proper communication. One issue that also is high on Mexico's list of priorities is gender, peace, and security. Mexico adopted a feminist foreign policy in 2019, following countries such as Sweden and Canada. In the Security Council, Mexico and Ireland co-chaired the informal expert group on women, peace, and security. But its foreign policy doesn't totally reflect the reality at home. Femicide and gendered violence in Mexico are on the rise, and feminist protests were recently met with police violence. There's also been some progress. The country recently decriminalized abortion. While there is no official event in November on women, peace, and security, Buenrostro says it is always part of Mexico's agenda. Our idea and our main objective is really to bring Mexico's voice and consistency in terms of defending these important values and goals of international law, humanitarian law, and the women, peace, and security agenda. Mexico co-chairs with Ireland, the Women, Peace, and Security Informal Expert Group. And for the past three months, Ireland, Kenya, and Mexico have been working together in terms of promoting during these three months and increase the profile of the women agenda during our activities in the Security Council while we are presiding over the presidency. The idea is to have more women as briefers during our presidency. And then, of course, that the language that we use or that that our insignia events or signature events also have a component dealing with women as well. But Andrew Rodman of the Wilson Center thinks that Just like on other files, there are some discrepancies between Mexico's emphasis on women, peace, and security in the council and what the Mexican government is doing at home. Here's what he thinks of the Mexican president's rhetoric. It is consistent with some of his rhetoric, but it is not necessarily consistent with the facts on the ground in Mexico. Femicides are up in Mexico and at different times, Lopez Obrador has accused feminist movements of being tools of foreigners or of capitalists or neoliberals, as he calls them. So he's had sort of a combative relationship with women's groups uh, at different times, despite the fact that he has a 
cabinet that is about 50-50 and has placed women in some very important roles in the Mexican government. So is it consistent with what he says are his priorities? I think so. But many would suggest that he hasn't really delivered on some of the promises he's made with respect to addressing women's issues. So I, I think this is certainly a way to try to demonstrate the commitment to his base. But candidly, it, you know, what happens in the Security Council is not likely to have an immediate impact on the condition of women in Mexico today. We'll take a short break, but stay tuned after we'll take a look at Mexico's broader foreign policy and how one of its closest neighbors, the United States, affects Mexico's behavior on the console. Are you searching for a meaningful way to further your career in international development? Is it your dream to tackle some of the world's most pressing challenges? Consider Seton Hall University's Executive Graduate Programs in International Affairs. Attend a webinar to find out how you can specialize in up to 13 research areas, including conflict management, international law and human rights, foreign policy analysis, and more. As a graduate candidate, you'll have the benefit of one-on-one -on -one faculty mentorship, career workshops, international seminars, and discussions with global leaders on campus at the UN headquarters in New York and in Washington, D.C. The program is flexible. It can be taken full-time or part-time, online or at the New Jersey campus just 14 miles from New York City. To learn more or sign up for a graduate program's webinar, click the link in our episode description. Mexico's ambassador said during his press briefing on November 1st that the topic of migration will permeate all of the country's signature events. Managing the flow of migrants and refugees at the U.S.-Mexico border remains a top priority for both the governments. Andrew Rudman believes the tone of the conversations between the two countries about migration as well as trade and other issues is different now that President Biden is in office. What we're seeing is an effort on the part of the Biden administration to, I think, restore the relationship to the way it was under the Obama administration when the two countries engaged on a wide range of issues across the cabinet. And I think what Biden is trying to do is reinstitutionalize the relationship so that cabinet officers talk to their counterparts the bureaucrats, the civil service talk to each other, and you get away from the circumstances under the Trump administration where it was very much a personality-driven relationship and very much a relationship that focused initially on trade and migration and then subsequently really just on migration. And I think the Biden administration is trying to move beyond that to find numerous other areas for cooperation Uh, the two countries have resumed the high-level economic dialogue, which is something that was established during the Obama administration and then let lapse under Trump. They recently just inaugurated a security cooperation dialogue, the Bicentennial Security Cooperation, which replaces the Merida Initiative and, again, is an effort to take sort of a whole-of-government, broad-based view of the numerous issues that 
confront our two countries, given our deep integration, both economically, culturally, socially. It's really essential that we address issues together. And so I think the Biden administration sees that and really does want to expand and deepen the relationship. At the same time, migration is extremely important. It's an important domestic issue for President Biden. And I I think there's certainly some concern among many that it provides Mexico with a certain amount of leverage in that if the United States pushes Mexico too hard on a trade issue or on climate change or human rights or any of those issues, that Mexico does have leverage in terms of how aggressively it controls northward migration. So I think that's one sort of wrinkle, if you will, in the relationship. Juan Manuel Gomez Robledo, one of Mexico's DPRs, believes the country gets along well with the U.S. and other council members. As a former deputy foreign minister, when Mexico was last on the council in 2009-2010, he has a lot to say about it. Mexico is one of those few members of the U.N. who speaks to everyone. We do not belong to any group except the regional one. We do not belong to the non-aligned movement. We do not belong to the G77. And that gives us a great deal of freedom. And it allows us to take initiatives to foster solutions, whatever we feel that we are useful. And this is something that we've been doing for the last 20 years or, or more. And I would say that Mexico is one of those 20 or something states who are always around the table whenever it's needed. We, of course, give a great deal of importance to our participation in the Security Council because this is something that is quite new in our foreign policy. For several decades, we had decided not to be an elected member of the Council. That approach was changed with the turn of the century, and this explained why we've been in the council with more frequency over the last uh, 15 years. Before that, we really were not seeking membership. But of course, we never forget about the General Assembly, where we really are a permanent member, I would say. So we pursue our initiatives at the same time in the General Assembly. We don't forget about it. Having said that, the agenda of the Security Council is already set up. Of course, we want to put our ingredients during our presidency, but the agenda to a large extent is already set. And the agenda is, and I again realize it uh, very vividly during the field trip to the Sahel, the agenda is uh, very much concentrated in Africa and in the most vulnerable countries of the continent. For Mexico is an opportunity because Mexico has very little presence in Africa. And being at the council is a way of being closer to Africa, which is very important. But uh, in general, I would say that Mexico has developed a kind of specialty of being a bridge between groups, between a country that is uh, able to speak uh, both to superpowers and to the least uh, developed uh, countries and less powerful countries. And it is thanks to Mexico that the process of the COP was really restored. After the disaster of COP15 in Denmark in 2009, 
we had to restore the whole process, which we did in Cancun in 2010. We are very good at bridging among extreme positions. Our relationship with the U.S. is excellent, as it is uh, with, uh, in general, with uh, all of the of the major powers of this world. Mexico is Latin American country, of course, by culture, by language, by a number of things, by history, but it also belongs to North America. As Gomez Robledo describes, there are two regional groups Mexico belongs to, Latin America and North America, and the country aims to play a substantial role in both camps. Right now, the other representative of the Latin American and Caribbean region besides Mexico on the council is San Vincent and the Grenadines, a relatively easy country for Mexico to get along with. But in January, Brazil will take San Vincent's seat on the council. Brazil competes with Mexico for dominance in the region, and they both claim they deserve a permanent seat on the council. The two current governments are also quite different on the political spectrum. Here's Andrew Rudman on this. Traditionally, Mexico and Brazil have a rivalry. I I think (laughs) maybe it's a combination of a rivalry and benign neglect for each other. There's not a whole lot of trade given the size of their economies. At times, you've had governments in Brazil and Mexico who probably were on opposite ends, if you will, of the spectrum. And you have that now where Lopez Obrador is certainly more progressive and Bolsonaro is certainly more conservative. In most of my career working on Brazil and Mexico, it was always the other way around, that Mexico's political alignment was closer to the U.S. and Brazil's tended to be opposite. Now, or certainly Bolsonaro and Trump were certainly more consistent than Trump and Lopez Obrador. Now with Biden and AMLO or Lopez Obrador uh, versus Bolsonaro, there's probably a little bit more commonality on the U.S.-Mexico than on the U.S.-Brazil. But I think the two countries, there are certainly commercial ties between Mexico and Brazil, but again, probably not, or the extent that there ought to be given the size of the two economies. So you certainly could see some competition there for influence or attention. But I think on big issues, they're probably likely going to have similar positions. Mexico acknowledges that Brazil's president, Jair Bolsonaro, and Mexico's president, AMLO, have different ideologies and personalities. But Deputy Ambassador Gomez Robledo believes they'll be able to bridge the gap and work together, while still claiming that they both deserve a permanent seat on the council. This would not be the first time we coincided already with Brazil in 2010. It went very well. It helped us very much uh, overcoming uh, misunderstandings of the past. We are uh, regional powers, but we are also global players. And the style of a leader is something that shouldn't influence the daily workings in the council. Brazil has a very active foreign policy, just as Mexico. We coincide in a number of issues. We disagree on others. For instance, we disagree strongly (laughs) on the reform of the Security Council. Absolutely. That has always been the case. We are in the opposite sides of the table, but we can speak on a number of issues, gender issues, climate change, even if there have been nuances 
in their positions in the last few years. I think that we will work very well with uh, Brazil as we did with uh, St. Vincent and the Grenadines. It remains to be seen how Mexico's relationship with the smallest country to ever sit on the console will differ from its relationship with Latin America's most populous country. That's it for our show. This episode was co-produced by me, Casey Candela, and Stephanie Filion for Pass Blue, an independent women-led media site covering the United Nations and global affairs. Dulce Leimbach is our editor. Anna Bianca Roach is our researcher. AI Digital created our podcast logo. And our music is by Poddington Bear. A lot happens at the UN beyond what we report in each episode of Unscripted. And PassBlue is covering the important news, from women's rights to human rights to the effect of the U.S. on the U.N. For day-to-day coverage, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And to subscribe to our newsletter, go to PassBlue.com. PassBlue's in-depth and exclusive stories and this podcast are possible with the support of the Carnegie Corporation of New York, the New School, and listeners like you. If you've thought about donating, but you just haven't gotten around to it yet, now is the time. Between November 1st and December 31st, your donation will be doubled. To show your support, visit Past Blue's website and click Donate. Unscripted is available wherever you find podcasts. If you like today's show, please rate us on iTunes and share with all your friends.